0: Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one melodious page of Talmud each day. And in today's page, Kitin 72, we come across this. Have a listen. The inference from the Baraita is that it uses the term until they hear serves to exclude the opinion of the one who said, Rabbi Yossi concedes in a case where the husband says, say my instructions to the scribe, because the scribe and the witnesses must hear the husband themselves. Furthermore, the baraita uses the term his voice to exclude that which Rav Kahana says, that Rav says that a husband may issue written instructions to the scribe and witnesses. According to the baraita, the instructions must be verbal. In other words, if a husband wishes to have someone write a bill of divorce for his wife, he can't just write down, hey, please, dear scribe, here's what I want this bill of divorce to say. He has to use his voice. He has to speak. Now, I thought about this a lot. I thought about this as a kind of instruction or reminder that very frequently when we come to the moments in life where we try to handle or think about things that are very, very difficult and emotional and rot, we tend to really kind of maybe sometimes delude ourselves or lie to ourselves or try to run away from our true feelings, which is why the rabbis tell us you can't write difficult stuff down. You have to speak it. You have to go out and say it. And maybe that thought occurred to me because I am single-mindedly, singularly obsessed with one of the most amazing books I've read in a very long time, It's called Quantum Criminals, Ramblers, Wild Gamblers, and Other Soul Survivors from the songs of Steely Dan, which, no surprises there to anyone who's been listening to the podcast, is my all-time favorite band. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to this podcast the book's author, Alex Papadimus. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. Alex, I really could keep you on the line for a very long time telling you how amazed I am at this book, which is not only gorgeous with great illustrations from Joan LeMay, but really kind of breaks down pretty much every major Steely Dan song, giving a combination of beautiful rock criticism and deep philosophical meditation, which often feels like really transcendent about the lyrics of Steely Dan, but, but I want to start by asking this question. So here we are, we read in the Talmud that the rabbis tell us, look, if you want to do something difficult, like go ahead and tell your wife you don't love her anymore and you want a divorce, you can't just write a neat, wrapped in a boat type little instruction until that you could change again and again and again until you feel good with it. You have to stand up and you have to use your voice, you have to speak, you have to really connect to that deep, dark place in your soul, where all the hurt and all the heartbreak lies, and it seems to me like that is a major kind of engine behind the work of Steely Dan's Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. A- am I just imagining things here
1: like tapping into the darker part of yourself or the darker truths of yourself through the voice you're saying
0: and exploring the the many, many, many occasions in which we lied. I mean, you observe in in the book that like so many of these songs are just about people who just lie to themselves and others
1: yeah it's there it's it's a lot of uh sort of self-deluded internal monologue i feel like is is the voice of steely dan in in some ways it's people telling themselves not you know oh this is such a difficult time that we're in or i'm you know my life is so messed up but like i'm having a great time and they're really sort of like the first person they're lying to is always themselves in addition to whoever else they may be lying to it's one of the ways in which we call it quantum criminals because everyone is sort of breaking some rule of behavior in some way at every turn all of these characters
0: for the benefit of our listeners who are not yet steely dan fanatics like us you write for example when you sort of break down in a very by the way talmudic manner Perhaps the best-known silly dance song, "Ricky, Don't Lose That Number." You say, you know, here is the narrator, presumably, you know, college-age John Fagan. Say, you tell yourself you're not my kind, but you don't even know your mind. Kind of trying to sort of half gaslight this woman, half lie to himself. Really, kind of tangled up in this in this web of of delusion and kind of self-loathing and and horniness and and so much emotion in two lines. There, explain.
1: Well, okay. I mean, first of all, they were right. Yeah, Steely Dan were writing about gaslighting at a time when that was not in kind of popular usage, like a sort of pop psychological sort of buzzword used in human relations. They were thinking about that. There's so many things that they were, I feel like the first people to write a song about, you know, so many aspects of human relationships. And yeah, that's a really, there's a lot of songs that Donald has written. I mean, maybe he wrote them when he was very young, or they've been kind of cooking in the brain ever since that all came from it's the voice of, a, of of a young man who who thinks he knows everything and thinks he can sort of you know tell this tell this woman what's what, and that she's making a mistake by by leaving him behind. And so Ricky is one of those songs. It's Donald sort of singing to this woman, like you know, you don't even you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you you know what you want in life. And like he's convincing himself of that, of course. he's convincing himself that there's no way a rational person would leave college age Donald Fagan behind. Whereas it seemed like if you read the story of Ricky, who was a real person, like she was married and had a kid on the way when they met. So it's kind of like, no, I think that probably she made the the right decision at that moment.
0: (laughs) Now, it's so interesting because really, I think this is one incredible thing that sets... Steely Dan apart from from pretty much almost, I I would say, any other band out there because so frequently you listen to popular music and it's um, at least the attempt, the aspiration is to deliver songs that feel life affirming, that make you feel good, that are about like love and relations or about your depression or about some kind of attempt to connect to a pure transcendent emotion and Steely Dan go right to to the complexity, to the delusion, to the difficulty that even we have sometimes telling ourselves out loud, like the rabbis demand of that man in, in today's page of Talmud, out loud, this is what I want. No self lies, no beautifying it, just straightforwardly. How did that come about? How did these two miraculous humans rise and create music that's so different from so much of what's going on at the time and you know before or since?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you point out that it's it's two miraculous humans, right? It is Donald Fagan, who is still with us and still performing under the name Steely Dan and the late Walter Becker, who died a a few years back, they wrote together. They have met each other at Bard College and instantly clicked and sort of realized that they, for some reason, they shared what Donald has described as a constellation of enthusiasms. And so it's everything from uh, Nabokov to the writer Thomas Berger to a lot of different music, particularly, uh, you know, bebop up to jazz up to a point. And then, uh, you know, there's a hard cutoff on their interest in it at some point, like it kind of ends with Love Supreme, like everything that kind of comes before that. They shared all of these things and i think that sensibility is inseparable from the fact that it's first and foremost it's these these two guys amusing one another and making references to things and sort of like uh, talking about things that were of interest to them but they're also for whatever reason they discovered when they started writing together they you know they have this knack for observational songwriting. They were looking around at the 70s as all of these things were changing, as the counterculture was kind of filtering out into the mainstream world and people were looking at their lives differently and thinking differently about relationships and everything. And they became keen observers of, we don't say the social scene anymore, but something like that, like the way that people related to one another and the types of obligations that people felt to one another and what it was like when that stuff started to fall away and all of those old certainties and people were trying to figure it out. So there's a lot of songs about relationships that don't work because there's a third party involved or, you know, just strange things happening, like, you know, a guy who's found out that his partner has been unfaithful to him and is forcing her to say everything that they did together that's not a normal love song that's the song everything you did and it's about a really unsettling sort of domestic dispute in which he's found this out and he's demanding to know everything that happened between them that's just such a a strange thing to write about
0: begins charmingly i believe with uh I'm going to buy a gun and shoot the lover down, something like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it's not. And the the thing about
1: it is the violent part, you know, he's maybe going to go and shoot this guy or maybe he feels like he wants to go shoot this guy. But the violence is like an emotional violence, right? It's making this woman sort of detail all of these things. And you can just sort of hear him being like, oh, is he better than me at this? Was he like, you know, all of the awful things that somebody could say in that moment? And it's the, the song where it gets to the point of like, things are getting so bad in the fight that like there's a, the, one of the partners is like, turn up the Eagles. The neighbors are listening. And that's the purpose that the Eagles serve. It's like you turn up peaceful, easy feeling because we don't want to hear how terrible we are to each other in that moment and I agree with there's no one else I don't uh, I think who wrote about that as much as Steely Dan are credited you know justly with being you know sort of the first yacht rock band in a lot of ways and uh, you know sort of the inspiration for a lot of the smooth kind of jazzy rock music that would follow in in their wake no one else really picked up on that piece of it they were like they were like really good novelists like and they were always kind of listening to what was going on around them and the way that people were talking to each other and the way that people I think were thinking about their lives in this moment when a lot of things had shifted in terms of the interpersonal life, in terms of like traditional family values and things like that had kind of gone out the window and people were kind of working it out uh, on the fly. And they, I think, chronicled a lot of that. And I think, the you know, you can sort of listen to this music and, you know, it's a history of of interpersonal violence in the 1970s in a lot of ways. And not, you know, not, not necessarily physical, but sort of like this things, you know, things being broken and contracts being broken.
0: The crazy thing is that I I read it and yeah, while well, you definitely got a very great taste for the seventies, reading your book made me, I think, understand perhaps why Steely Dan is making such a resurgence. Because here we are again, and it's twenty twenty three, and everything is broken again. Yeah. Ah, uh, and and they seem to be really shockingly fresh and, and of the moment, right?
1: Yeah, I think their cynicism just now scans as realism almost. I think that's the thing about it. at the time it was like, "Wow, these guys are really dark," but I think you know we're we're just we're we're all a little darker. At this is, point. is it
0: cynicism or is it a candid, raw, heartbreak that they're just putting out there when no one else did?
1: Well, right. That's that's the that's the question, right? I mean, I think if you listen to the songs that they wrote in that, you know, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Ricky but also something like Mild School or any of that, the sort of the young, the angry young Fagin trilogy, the Bard College songs, you know, that they wrote. I think there's a kind of youthful, sort of sneering cynicism to it but i think over time like and especially once you get into the reunion albums that happened in the you know in starting in 2000 you start to see them become these older kind of these older men sort of thinking about their lives and like you know they were prepared for that uh, you know from a very young age like from there basically when they were 28 they felt old but yeah no i think that what what's interesting about it in terms of today is that like None of it feels dated. It feels like this is the way that people now sort of think about relationships. I think that they understood that early on. They had figured something out very early on about the way that people were going to relate to each other going forward. And I think that that's, you know, it's something that probably, you know, it was maybe not a message that everybody felt comfortable hearing, but now I think it's, you know, it feels true.
0: They understood, in other words, as the rabbis of the Talmud did long ago, the value of standing up and speaking your mind, no matter how ugly. Alex Papadimas, the book is Quantum Criminals. It is just an absolute delight. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you're going to enjoy our brand new Take One newsletter even more. Each week, you'll get an extra shot of Talmudic wisdom straight to your inbox. And for those who sign up before Tractate Gittin ends, we'll be raffling off some Take One swag. So make sure to subscribe at tabletm.ag slash Take One Newsletter. As always please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts and you could get your Take One t-shirts, mugs and other amazing form of swag at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Libowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnik, Josh Cross, Roberts Carmucha Courtney Hazelt, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at Yomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.